uh, we're going to spend a few moments just thinking about today and, and being Good Friday. Uh, if you've got a Bible there, um, Matthew 27 is, uh, is where we're sort of following along and looking at. Let me pray for us and ask God to uh, speak to us and so that we'd listen to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and kindness to us. We thank you that on this day especially, we get to celebrate and remember and, um, and uh, consider more deeply your son's death on the cross for us, uh, that death that gives us life. Lord, thank you for the Lord Jesus and thank you for today. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, perhaps you've seen uh, the, the signs around the highlands and even down the coast as well, these, these Jesus is signs. They're printed on T-shirts. Uh, I've got a coffee cup with mine. I've got a T-shirt as well. You might have seen some stickers. Uh, Jesus is uh, campaign it was. It was part of the, the Wollongong region. The idea was to get, get people talking about Jesus, thinking and talking about Jesus, to fill in the blank to ask people their opinions. So uh, here's ours up on the street corner there. You can sort of see it under the normal sign. Um, it's a lovely photo, isn't it, don't you think? It's a nice little corner, that. I do like taking photos there. Anyway, there's our sign, Jesus is. Now, we've got some friends up at Helensburg, a Helensburg Anglican Church, and uh, like many of the other churches in the Wollongong region, they too got involved with this, and um, they put up a sign. And not quite as impressive as our sign, as we'll see in a moment, but that's okay. Um, they put it on a roundabout just outside the church in Helensburg, if you know that little suburb. Well, it had the desired effect and it started a conversation. Other signs were added to the Jesus is sign. Now, I guess you could say people were happy to talk. They were happy to share their opinion, weren't they? Uh, in signs. So here's the first one. This is probably my favourite one, to be honest. Uh, Jesus is on holiday in Ulladulla. <laughs> Where else would he go? Actually, I'll make a comment about that in a moment. I think they're fighting words. But anyway, um, next one. Jesus is missing. If you see him, contact the church. <laughs> Fair enough. Now things start to get a little bit more serious, I suppose. Jesus is a hoax. The next one. And then uh, finally, Jesus is my imaginary friend. Now, I'd, I'd love to speak to all of those. There's no doubt about that, especially the holiday in Ulladulla. Um, I, don't th I think Jesus would have gone further south. The fishing is far better in Batemans Bay. Um, anyway, that's just my argument, and that's okay. You can debate over that later on. How would you fill in the blank? What, what, what would you say? What would you put in that blank there about Jesus? Well, for many people today, when we hear uh, of the Jesus on that first Good Friday, crucified on a Roman cross, and even for people who witnessed his trial and execution, who were there, well, Jesus is a loser. And you know something? I think they're right. How can I say such a thing? How can I say that? Isn't that a little bit disrespectful? Aren't you a minister of the church to say that Jesus is a loser? Well, today I'd love us to have a think about that. Let's have a think about what that statement might mean. 
Because there's no doubt the crowds didn't think much of Jesus on that day, did they? Remember the crowds? Uh, if it was Barabbas, the Barabbas, the convicted terrorist that they wanted released over and above Jesus. Now, it was custom during the Passover for the Roman authorities to release a Jewish prisoner. And so the crowds were shouting, Barabbas, uh, release him. And when Pilate mentions Jesus, well, what do they shout? They shout back, crucify him. And of course, the Jewish leaders, well, they plotted successfully to have Jesus killed. Back in chapter 26, we read that Jesus was arrested and charged of blasphemy by the Sanhedrin. That's the Jewish ruling council. Uh, in many ways, that scene and the dodgy trial was the culmination of many attempts to have Jesus dealt with permanently. Now, I'm not sure exactly how to define loser, but that's how the Jewish leaders wanted to see Jesus. And perhaps it's even how the disciples saw Jesus. They certainly didn't stick around, did they, those disciples? Uh, Peter disowned him. Judas sold out for some cash. And the rest were hiding away for fear of being associated with this loser, Jesus. Otherwise, they would end up with the same fate of Jesus, I suppose. And we mustn't forget the Romans as well. Have a look at how they treat Jesus. Have a look at how they thought of Jesus. Remember this, uh, this is the bit that Joe read to us a few moments before. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and they put a scarlet robe on him. They dressed him up to look like a king. Look what they say next. And then they twisted a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spat on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. Now, we're not exactly sure what words these soldiers said to Jesus but I'm betting for one that they were not very pleasant <laughs> they were hardly very PG friendly and two I think they were words that were equivalent to loser so I guess if you say Jesus is a loser can you say you're in good company maybe not but you, you can certainly say it's not very original to call Jesus a loser Jesus dying, humiliated, this, well, it's what it is, it's a pathetic picture of weakness. Jesus crucified on a Roman cross. But friends, I wonder, I wonder have you considered the fact that that was God's intention? That that was God's intention. That Jesus being a loser was indeed all part of God's plan. Jesus' plan to die like a loser in weakness, in humiliation, uh, in defeat. I'll let you think about that just for a moment. You know, there's one other character in this story. Uh, not, not a group of people, just a person, a Roman soldier. In fact, a centurion, no less who says something remarkable about Jesus, especially in the light of other people's opinions on that day and perhaps even today. 
It's in verse 54. Got it up on the screen there. So when the centurion and those with him were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Now, how could he make such a conclusion? How could he come to such a conclusion? After all that he'd seen, what exactly was it that this campaign-hardened professional soldier saw that evoked this confession? It's remarkable, isn't it? After what we've just been thinking about and going through. Let's take a moment to think about this man, first of all, though. Now, to get to his rank... He would have been around for a while. He'd seen a few things. He'd fought many battles. He would have known death and all that went with it. But now, having reached the rank of centurion, he, actually, he found himself in, the, in one of the farthest flung corners of the Roman Empire, Jerusalem. It was hardly a posting of privilege. And his assignment uh, certainly wouldn't have been described as glorious. What's his assignment? Well, he was the commander of Pilate's execution squad. So day by day, he carried out orders that were handed down to him, uh, cleaning the world in the most barbaric way of the criminal scum of Palestine. It sounds like a propaganda leaflet from the Roman Empire, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> now, perhaps he came home each day to his wife and kids and he, and he tried to forget what went on, the, the cries of the dying, uh, the contempt of the crowds for the victim and the executioner. But I suspect his sensitivities would have been, uh, I reckon, long since dulled to death and dying. Uh, one death on Golgotha, Golgotha as it was known, would uh, be much like any other. No matter how, no matter how many ways that the soldiers would try to spice things up um, for their own entertainment. But today, as he as he marched his men out again to that, uh, well, really that God-forsaken hill. As they herded the prisoners like cattle to the slaughter, this man would supervise the crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth. And suddenly, out of the blue, he found himself affected by this death. Why? Why? He'd seen it all before. Yet something about this man and his death made such an impression that he cried out, surely he was the son of God. This was no ordinary death. See, from a human point of view, that's not the conclusion most would come to about Jesus at this time, at this place, in this moment. This uh, pathetic figure was just one more of many losers who littered the roadsides of Palestine, they were, I read somewhere, tributes to the ruthless efficiency of the Roman justice system. See, to hang on a cross was humiliating. Um, most were crucified with no clothes on. You had lost all any rights you had. You had none there. And to the Jews, to be crucified was understood to be cursed by God, uh, abandoned by him, beyond hope of any salvation. It was clear, a clear sign that you were being rejected by God if you were hanging on a Roman cross. And the words spoken by Jesus from Psalm 22, we read earlier, it's verse 46 of Matthew 27, seemed to confirm that. What did Jesus call out? He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
There's an irony, isn't there? That these words that Jesus cried out would cause this centurion to believe that Jesus is God's son. The one in whom God was well pleased, the object of God's constant love and care and blessing, is hanging here to die on a Roman cross. Yet he believed that he is God's son. How does that happen? How does that happen? And maybe it was in the anguished cry of Jesus, the sincerity and pain in his voice cut through the built-up hardness of this man. Maybe it was his conversation, the conversation Jesus had with the two criminals on either side of him, as Luke's gospel records. Maybe it was the sense of purpose and trust in God, his Father. And remember Jesus said on the cross, um, into your hands I commit my spirit, Jesus said. Maybe it was the earthquake. We don't really know, do we? We can only guess what moved this centurion to make this confession to believe. But at this point, he got it. He did believe. He understood the cross. While others stood mocking and throwing insults, at this point, this man believed that on that cross, God's innocent son was torn apart from his father, forsaken, separated. You know, it's probably one of the most harrowing experiences for any parent to lose their child in a public space or a busy crowd. Do you think? Uh, my parents once left my next brother up on a train in Italy. There he goes. <laughs> we all got off the train, but he didn't. Um, now, just imagine that for a minute. We don't come from Italy. We don't speak Italian. Uh, I was about two or three or something. And there was Jamie. <laughs> on the, there he was, on the train, and we were heading off. And to say there was panic, well, that's an understatement. Um, there was panic. <clears throat> the train had to stop um, about sort of 100 metres past the station. Uh, it, was, it was this panic in Italian. Uh, anyway, we got him back, which was really good. Um, <laughs> we can laugh about it now, but we certainly didn't at the time. My, um, my eldest was once uh, misplaced in, in Kmart. <laughs> like, who hasn't lost a child in Kmart? Come on, let's be honest here. Um, you wouldn't remember it, Wes, but um, <laughs> there, there were tears, there was panic, uh, and that's just Michelle. Um, <laughs> there were calls over the PA system, security was involved, uh, mothers came from everywhere. Where'd you come from? I heard there's a child lost. There was a massive search involved. Anyway, he just, the funny thing was, he just turned up, just wandered up. And he wondered why mum was upset and, you know, uh, what's going on? Uh, apparently he was, he was taking some time out in the toys section. <laughs> why wouldn't you? Now, usually it's the parents, I guess, who do a lot of the crying, but it's not always. Sometimes as the small child is uh, accidentally separated, from its parents, it's the child that cries out in fear and pain. Uh, not the case with, um, with my eldest. Uh, <laughs> and that he said it's a cry of love that's faced with the loss of that reciprocal love that it knows from moment to moment. Um, the love that shapes its identity the, on, and on which it totally depends. That's the separation. And so the child cries out. Likewise for Jesus, to experience separation from his father... That was the most awful thing to happen. 
Forget the pain of the nails and the flogging. It was the separation that Jesus felt and it was that separation that moved the centurion. Now the reality is, is of course, that Jesus was not misplaced accidentally uh, like we do with our children in Kmart. Um, He was not misplaced accidentally by the Father on the cross. No, no, he was kicked out. He was kicked out. The cries of Jesus on the cross were the cries of separation from the Son being forsaken by the Father. Now, why would God do that? Why would God do that? Why would Jesus submit to it as he does in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he does throughout his, as he predicts throughout his life? Why would, he, why would that happen? Well, it's a simple answer. And that is, that, that is for love. That's the answer. Love for you and I. The cross was the only way for us to be reconciled with God, to be brought back into, in, into friendship with God. Now, did the centurion understand this? Uh, we're not sure. But one thing's clear. He understood sacrifice. And he understood that Jesus was dying a death that he didn't deserve. He understood innocence in the place of guilty, of the guilty. Uh, this centurion got a shadow. But we get the full picture. You see that? He got a shadow. We get the full picture of what was going on. And just maybe this centurion understood that this was God's plan all along. Just maybe. For him to send his only begotten son. That this was Jesus' plan to die for the sins of many. That Jesus, in his words, had come not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. The truth about Jesus The Bible tells us that he became a loser for us. He takes the fall so that we might benefit. Perhaps this is what the centurion understood. That Jesus was kicked out and that we were invited in. Jesus was kicked out so that we could be invited in. The temple curtain was torn in two, symbolising the barrier between us and God, broken down, sin forgiven, by the death of God's Son. The Apostle Paul wrote some, uh, some years later, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Some 600 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah prophesied about the work of God's Son, the, the Messiah, the Christ. Uh, I doubt very much that the centurion would have heard this scripture. But perhaps when he heard Jesus and saw him that day, he understood what Isaiah would speak of, spoke of. Perhaps he understood that this day was part of God's plan after all. Isaiah 53. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Isaiah speaking of the coming Christ, Jesus to come. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So I guess the question now is this. As you, like the centurion, stand and watch what went on that Good Friday, have you been moved to make his confession? See, either we are moved to cast ourselves down before the cross of this man 
this man Jesus in thankful praise, all were left cold, maybe even taking pity on him, being indifferent, watching with only a detached fascination as he opens his arms and gives his life for ours. Friends, I'd love to invite you to come on Sunday, uh, Sunday morning here at 10 o'clock, and I'd love to share with you then what moved me to make the confession that Jesus, in fact, is God's son, that he's God's Christ, God's king, that he is Lord of all. He is who he said he is. How about I pray? Father, we, uh, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We pray now, Lord, that we too, as we understand the cross, Lord, we don't, we don't have bits and pieces of it or ha- the half story. Maybe that's what the centurion got. But Lord, it's enough for him to put his trust in you. Lord, we pray today that we can do the same, that we can recognise Jesus for who he is, your son who was crucified, who was humiliated, who died a loser in our sin for us. Lord, we pray that we, we can make the confession that this centurion made, that surely he is your son. Amen.